Hey everybody, you're listening to Living Theology with the Luby Brothers, a podcast dedicated to understanding and living out the gospel. The gospel that brings us to God and transforms us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We are your hosts, Doug, Greg, and Mark Luby. Hey everybody, we're continuing on our hard questions about the Christian faith, and we're just going to probably do two more episodes on this. This series has gone on for sort of a while, probably a little longer in terms of time frame than we expected, though we were thinking probably about ten questions. Um, But next we're going to address the question of politics and religion and the tie that has in our culture. Uh, Sort of a light question. (laughs) Easy in our modern environment. (laughs) Yeah. Um... And this week, we're going to talk more about sort of why and how we believe the Bible is true. Uh, But yeah, we ended up all actually together again uh, as we're on a family vacation, which has been really fun. Yeah, we are here in Florida. Um, These guys have been here for about a week. My wife and I, Reagan, are only here for three days, but it's been a really fun time hanging out in the pool, playing volleyball, taking pool noodles and just like whacking each other and like we did when we were 10, so it's been a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, Doug, do you want to introduce the question for us in specific that we're going to be asking today? Yeah. So our overall question is, how do we know that the Bible is true? And within that, there's a lot of different questions that people ask. So we want to address, like, do we have the original manuscripts? Do we have what the apostles wrote? Do we know if what we have is reliable? Another question is, what about all the contradictions in the Bible? Doesn't this disprove that this is actually God's word? And the big question, again, that we're going to get to is not just, do we have what was originally written? But even if we did, how do we know this is actually God's word, that Jesus truly rose from the dead, that we can actually have assurance of our salvation by faith in Christ, can we really be confident in that, or are we just being hopeful? Yeah, yeah. Doug, and I think you could probably just summarize an answer for us all that we would, where we're essentially we're going to land, and what we would agree on before we get into some of those things to help set a framework. Yeah, so our answer is to how do we know the Bible is true is ultimately going to come down to we believe that this is a work of the Holy Spirit, that God does a work in our hearts so that we can see who Christ is. I think of 2 Corinthians uh, 4, verses 4 to 6. It talks about people that don't believe it. It says, in their case, the God of this world, the God of this world being Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God, of the the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So that last verse is saying that God who said, let light shine out of darkness, which is calling back to Genesis, where God created the world and said, let there be light, and light came about. It's saying that this same God who spoke to create the world has also spoken to show the light of 
of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, so that God, like he spoke to give light to the world, speaks his word so that we can see his light in Christ. And what we're going to come back to is that this is a work of God by the Holy Spirit to reveal Scripture as God's Word. We'll explain that a little bit more in a little bit, but before we get into that, we'll ask some questions of otherwise this is expressed and talk about what this is like in our own lives. Yeah. So I think a good question, too, even as we enter into this, is do you guys ever doubt whether your faith is real, whether Christ is real, whether the scripture is true. Yeah, this is what I've been definitely thinking about a little bit more lately. And um, I'd say that the way that I've come to really believe the Bible is completely 100% true, authoritative, sufficient, that's come through a variety of things. And so I spent a season where I was looking at archaeology in the Bible and kind of looking into some of those things or looking into how the manuscripts were formed and um, looking into history, uh, validating the Bible, the evidence for things like the resurrection of Christ. And those are all incredibly powerful arguments for the validity of Scripture. And those gave me some assurance. But as I think about what's really created and even alleviated the most doubt in my life about the truth of scripture i'd say it's really been just my exposure and time in scripture and seeing just what we've been talking about before um that scripture is written in a way and the truths and the glories and the realities you see in scripture are really beyond even invention or making up and so when I started memorizing the book of Romans a couple of years back, that was a time when I uh, began just to see new elements of the word in ways I had never seen before. And I began to see just the way that Paul writes is, like I was saying, just beyond something that we could, anyone can make up or invent, the way that he uh, thinks and unpacks the implications of the gospel and how things tie to one another I just began to see that this is a glory this is a reality this is a truth that's beyond something that could be made up and I think the Holy Spirit working through that has really given a lot of confidence Uh, I've gained a lot of confidence just in my view of scripture and belief that it's completely true and authoritative so would you say there are moments, Greg, where you do feel a sense of doubt? I'd, yeah, I, th- I think that over time it's become less and less. Uh-huh. And at mm-hmm. this point, I think that that doubts about the... I definitely have doubts, but the doubts about the Scripture being true are very small. And I think that it's either like I'm completely disillusioned and off, and like just yeah. I'm... Cr- I'm totally crazy out of my mind or it's true and so that i think that's more of so i'd say like 99 percent chance i'm like pretty sure this is really true one percent chance i'm just nuts yeah yeah Yeah, i feel like i don't know why but ever since i was little the idea of scripture being true has just been something i've thought and just believed and not that i never have questions on that but there's probably only a couple of times that i've wrestled with the question is the Bible not true? So 
it's like kind of weird. But every once in a while, I do think, are we just in a computer simulation or the Matrix? And I actually probably have that question more than I have the question, is the Bible true? Because um, it feels like, man, from what I've seen in Scripture, this has to be true. Jesus has to be God, unless it's all of reality is messed up and fake. So it almost seems like I'm more likely to believe that reality isn't true than scripture isn't true. Kind of like, Greg, you're saying you're more likely to believe that your mind is insane than the scripture isn't true. And so maybe it's like a similar but kind of different thing, which doesn't mean that I've never had doubts about scripture. Obviously, I come across things and then, huh, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. What, What do we do with this passage? But there seems to be this settled uh, scripture is true. And there's people who I've really respected who are more godly than I am who have wrestled with this question more frequently and almost have freak out moments here and there of is everything that I'm believing a lie? And occasionally I've seen that in my life, but for some reason less often than I would have expected. Hmm. And more of a question is, is all of reality a lie? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I remember for me, probably one of the times was, I was, I think in eighth grade, and I began to really read through the Bible on my own more, mm-hmm. and I remember reading the story of Noah and the flood, and just the talk of God's wrath, I remember just being sort of like shaken up by that, and being a little bit of unsure what to think, and yeah, just like, sort of taken back, and so I think there's definitely been times for me where... I've been reading the Bible and I've been confused or unsure. Uh, And there's probably been the myriad of different types of doubts I have. For me, probably one of the big things is just day-to-day actually believing God loves me. Um, Mm -hmm. And not like being able to say, yes, I believe that, but actually experiencing and living in the sort of just the gospel. That's that's something I think I struggle with. And that maybe you may categorize that as different, but I would say I struggle with doubts probably in some various ways. Um, typically also for me it probably hits me at moments where it's just like a wave of doubt at once and a lot of times great similar when it's when I'm in a lower spot or a more difficult spot I think it was about two years ago I was doing sort of a spiritual retreat time away and I remember just sort of this weight uh, coming over me actually as, as I was in the shower just thinking like is everything I believe wrong Mm-hmm. And just sort of thinking, like, is, is none of this true? Is all this made up? And I remember feeling and experiencing that doubt. But actually what hit me in that time was just thinking of, like, the beauty of Scripture, the beauty of God's words. And there's just sort of this sense of, like, I don't think that can be made up. Like, I don't think I could have made this up or this could have been made up by humans. It just seems, like, too beautiful, too good, too true. And all those actually being conjoined together, which we'll talk a little bit about as we go on, of how those all those concepts sort of come together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'd say we all have questions about what does scripture mean in places. Like I was doing my quiet time yesterday and just put question marks in two different places because I was reading through Romans and just seeing... I don't know what this verse means. I've looked at this verse so many times. I've studied this, listened to messages on it, memorized it, but honestly don't know what this means. And yeah. so that I think we all can relate to. Totally. But 
yeah, how do we know it's true? Do we? Do I believe this is true, even though I don't know what it means? Yeah. So as we move from this kind of intro to maybe some of the questions that people ask that are more specific, Mark, maybe you could start us out with, do we have the original manuscripts that the apostles wrote? And if not, can we actually trust that what we have is right? Yeah, yeah. So one of the most common analogies used for this is, and and I'm going to argue why I don't think this is a good analogy, but one of the most common analogies is people say it's sort of like the telephone game you play when you're a kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a fun game because one person will say something at the beginning and then as you work your way through the line, each person whispers it into another person's ear. And by the time you get to the end, partially, sometimes intentionally by people, but the message just gets so skewed that it's nothing like the original message. And so the person at the end says what they think that the message is and everyone laughs because it's just nothing like the original message and and that's actually a lot of times an illustration that people say hey look the bible you have in your hands it's like the telephone game Mm -hmm. uh it's been changed throughout history it's been take jesus was maybe this historical figure but then he was made god and as the Mm -hmm. tradition passed down the the whispers kept on kept on changing and now you have this Bible in your hands that's nothing like the original Bible, and you can't really know who Jesus really was. There's sort of this Jesus of faith, of who Mm -hmm. you believe he is, is one of the ideas that comes out, and there's this historical Jesus, and a lot of times the idea is the real historical Jesus in the historical Bible, you can't know it. Mm -hmm. Um, But the, the problem with that analogy is actually just from a historical level it's it's not very helpful uh, because it's not as though we have just one continuing message passed down throughout history from person to person without any way to look back and assess we don't have the original manuscripts of the writing so like the original like gospel of Luke we don't have like the original gospel of Luke signed by Luke in a um, glass and encasement showing this is Luke's original and if you want to go back and look at it you can but what we do have is we have about 5,800 manuscripts just in Greek for the New Testament and I learned a lot of this stuff in one of my gospels class with uh, Dr. Michael Kruger but about he's excellent on this stuff if somebody's wondering like do we have the originals look up Dr. Michael Kruger yeah yeah, there's a lot of good stuff that he has out there, um, and a lot of study he's done. But yeah, we have about 5,800 manuscripts just in the Greek, and you, someone might say, hey, well, that's just from a Christian perspective, but um, Wikipedia is not like my go-to source, <laughs> but I typically think if there's like a strong Christian perspective that's fo- that's voiced, and I can find it confirmed easily on Wikipedia and sites like that, that... Uh, it's helpful. And so if, if you're skeptical, just look it up on Wikipedia. How many New Testament manuscripts do we have? And you'll find that we have 5,800 manuscripts in Greek, plus another about 10,000 in Latin, plus another number of thousands, I think over 10,000 in other languages. Mm-hmm. And so the analogy of the uh, telephone game doesn't hold up too well because it's not just 
one single note being passed down. It's more as though you have access to 5,800 or 25,000 of the messages. And that's not each one of those is the whole New Testament. Not each one of those is uh, a whole chapter or a whole book of the New Testament. But as a whole, what we have is thousands of manuscripts. And so really what we're looking at is not just a single message. We're looking at, from a historical level, thousands of messages. And with those, we can confirm to a very, very high um, reliability that what we actually have in the New Testament uh, as you read your Bible is accurate. And you'll notice even as you read through uh, your translation, you'll likely have uh, notes at the bottom that will show minor discrepancies between manuscripts. And the reason that we have that is because we have access to so many manuscripts that we can even say, hey, this verse may have you know, a few words different in this manuscript. But when you look at it as a whole, the message of the New Testament, we have an incredible amount of reliability to show that what we actually have in our hands is on a historical level like a masterpiece that's actually unmatched by any other document in history. And so, yeah, the analogy of the telephone game, I would say is like, it's sort of an absurdly bad analogy if you th- like c- just from a historical mm-hmm. level I think from a Christian and non-Christian perspective as well yeah because I think sometimes people think oh we translated it from the original Greek and then they translated that Greek copy into another Greek copy into another Greek copy and then that got translated into Latin and then the Latin got translated into German and then German and and uh, like the King James Bible, then you translate the King James Bible into the NIV or the E, and then the NIV into the ESV, and you're just a translation of a translation of a translation, and from language to language, and if you did that, it would be like the telephone game. Yeah. But instead of doing that, what we're doing is we're going back to these original manuscripts for all the translations that we have. So one, that's really helpful. Hey, we're actually going back to these tri- manuscripts that are from the first four or five centuries. Then the question is, are those manuscripts that we have from 400 AD and 200 AD and 300 AD the actual ones that the disciples wrote? And the way that it's helpful to have so many of those manuscripts is if there were only seven of them, then maybe, oh, we just got like a misunderstanding of those seven that show up in 400 AD are different than what was written. But since there's 5,800 and they're dispersed over long, broad areas of like geography and even in, there's manuscripts in other languages, you can compare them all back together. And since there's so many of them in so diverse areas and time frames, you get to realize, oh, we actually do have what was there originally because you could cu- make up seven but yeah. you can't make up 5800 yeah and th- how early do we have some of those manuscripts yeah so one of the interesting things is i learned this also just in the class like the average sort of date if you want to go to a first century which is when the new testament was written first century manuscript the mm-hmm. average first manuscript um or average date for a like a copy from the first century would be like a thousand years uh for like other texts for other texts yeah Yeah. but for the new testament we have texts that go within 35 years likely of the writing so if john was written in about 90 a.d 
we actually have a manuscript of John from about 125 AD. And so, like, just even some of those things, it's like, we, we actually get some that are pretty close there. And then just even... The, so people that knew John are still alive at the time frame that that manuscript's out there. Yeah, or disciples of John, like, yeah. um, are out there. And so it's, it's still it, pretty fresh with some of the manuscripts like that. And the manuscripts do range throughout the years, it's not like all of them are within that time frame, but we have some that are very close. Um, and then you also, for like quality of manuscripts, uh, I learned also in the class that on average for a document in the first century like that, you're going to have about 10 or 20. And so to have 5,800 Greek manuscripts is like... It's like outrageous. It's outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, think, I think it's like even important there to know as that question comes up, from a historical level, are we actually looking into this? Are we actually studying it? Because I'm all, all good with like dealing with critiques of it, but we also have to understand there, there's some incredible evidence just of the manuscripts. And I would encourage you, if, if you're unsure of that, continue to look into it and test mm -hmm. and verify that. Um, but yeah, so... Yeah, because I think it's helpful to see, oh we have pretty good confidence, and even non-Christians who have studied this or are experts on it say, yeah, we basically know we've got what the originals were written so for 99.5% of it, and then there's a little bit down there that gets noted, actually, in your Bible when maybe 2,000 manuscripts say one thing and 3,000 say another thing, which is often, like, an extra three words. And so then our Bibles note that. So that's actually helpful also to be able to look and see what are the things that maybe have some confusion and then realizing all oh, the rest of it is really together. But we could still say that we know we have what the disciples wrote, but not be sure that it's right. And one of the ways that we might be wrestling with, is the Bible actually true, even if the disciples wrote it, is the question, what about all these contradictions? So Greg, what would you say to start us off in this contradiction side of this yeah i think there's different levels of contradiction uh some are the contradiction of like is this true is it historically accurate um mm -hmm. but then there's also the contradiction of does this contradict different things that you see in the bible so i'll focus probably more on that a little bit mm -hmm. um and even on that level sometimes it's does this contradict other teachings or how is this compatible with other scriptures and mm -hmm. I you mentioned this earlier Doug but a lot of times especially I remember this in high school happening a lot middle school and high school and I would be just reading the scripture and I'd see a passage and be like how does this Oh no! <laughs> yeah, like, mm. and that yeah, that's what I was like. Oh no, <laughs> what do I do with this? Like, how do I reconcile this? How do I uh -huh. reconcile this teaching and this truth with what I believe about God, with um, these other things I know? Mm -hmm. And I've had hundreds of times where that's happened as I've been reading the scriptures. Yeah, and I think that something that has really given me again a lot of faith in the word being true is as i've really looked into those answers i've never had a question that i really haven't found a good answer to and hmm. that as i've looked into it, i haven't thought 
like, man, this really is a good answer. As I've began looking into it, uh, cross first with other passages, looking you know commentaries, and not in a way where I just have a bias towards wanting it to be true, because I have more of a skeptical. Um, skeptical mentality often as it comes to those mm-hmm. things I'm a little bit more of a natural skeptic with those things and so I don't think it's just believing because I really want it to be true but there really is an answer there really is something true and I think uh, again just what I've seen as I've studied scripture more and more is just the in- internal consistency of the word is beyond making up it's beyond human thinking with so many different passages written at different times by different authors and it being so coherent so congruive uh so is congruent the right word <laughs> congruent congruent, congruent. that's the right word <laughs> um, i knew what you meant sometimes i like kind of making up a word yeah <laughs> i'll look it up it might so, be real let's let's google it <laughs> I'm going to stand by it. Uh, and with it being so unbelievably consistent, is that's just such an incredible evidence of the scripture being true. And so, again, as I've known and seen the scriptures more and more, as I've seen the connections and ties, as I've seen how the message is the same across all the books of the Bible, it's just been incredible to see... Um, all the ties, all the connections, all the prophecies in the Old Testament tying directly towards Jesus in a way that is statistically impossible, and all the ways that the New Testament authors have the same message spanning across all the books. Um, I think just seeing the internal consistency and seeing that every time I've thought something is totally inconsistent or doesn't make sense, as I've looked into it, there really has been validity there, and so... I think more exposure to the scriptures and study of the scriptures has really given me a lot of faith in that. You can answer the other side contradictions, but first is congruently. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't think congruent is a word, but oh, man. all words have a beginning at some point. <laughs> yeah. So well, we're starting now. Yeah, on this we'll podcast, be we'll keep using it. Jackson and Wesley, yeah. who are Greg's kids, uh, will be using the word congruent. Yeah, yeah, and that'll be so common. Twenty. All years it needs now. to do is just be put in Merriam-Webster and then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to add an Urban Dictionary post tonight. <laughs> to all of our listeners out there, start tweeting it. <laughs> Hashtag congressive. Congressive of scripture. <laughs> uh, so you guys want to talk on any of the other ideas of contradictions? No, I, th- I think that's good. I mean, yeah, I've, I've had the same many existential crises as I've, I've been reading and had to look into them, and so... I mean, so I, I think I feel that too. Like when people are like, "What about contradictions?" If someone is reading the scripture and they're feeling this weight, or they've read a bunch of Reddit posts and like they're feeling some of the weight, like I get that. Like I've read Reddit posts or <laughs> online posts. I don't know if they were Reddit, but I've read online posts about like here's like these terrible things from the Bible, and like mm-hmm. I've like felt the weight of that, and I've had to think through that, and and it's like that's all right. Like think through it. Like give like really give it a fair shot though, and and wade, mm-hmm. wade through some of that stuff. And even for me, coming from a philosophy background, philosophy minor, I'm not like a philosopher. I didn't like grow up in the school of Athens or anything. But uh, I sat in some philosophy classes. But being there, like, and just feeling some of the weight of like arguments against, against Christianity, like, I yeah, I think I'm sympathetic towards that and I get that. And 
yet I would I would encourage a hope of thinking through and working through and wading through some of those things and believing that will be a satisfying endeavor as it, it, it has been for me and I think it's ultimately strengthened my faith as I've gone through that and I think the same for you Greg like you're saying Greg as you've seen people asking questions about contradictions what are some things that you've noticed in that yeah that, that's a good question because this is something I've thought a lot about just in ministry um because this comes up all the time. Can the Bible be trusted? What about all the contradictions? And what I've observed, and this isn't necessarily always true, uh, but what I've observed is that often more and more there's a lot of those questions that I've seen kind of not coming out from a place of I've really studied the word. I really have a full picture of the word. And here's the question. There's been more stuff that's been articulated elsewhere. And sometimes even a lack of knowledge of the word then creates a lot more doubt because you don't really know enough about it to know is that true or not. And so mm-hmm. I think that partially our lack of knowledge of the scripture of the word combined with that doubt is a hard combo. Yeah, so as a Christian, one of the ways to really help if you're wrestling with this question of are there contradictions is to spend time and saturated in Scripture. Because it's helpful to look at what does Dr. Kruger say or what does your Bible study leader think. And those can be really helpful things with contradictions. But probably our encouragement is just spend time in the Word and you'll see it over time. And things that I originally thought were contradictions, like, wow, don't James and Paul have like such a different view of how you're justified by faith and works? And now realizing, oh, they're actually answering slightly different questions, and they're in unison here. Mm-hmm. To me, it seems like a contradiction. Or what's going on with who the women are that are at the resurrection? I don't have a perfect answer for that one, but... Over time, some of these things that seem like contradictions or that stood out to me as off or wrong, beginning to realize, oh, actually, it's not a contradiction. Sometimes something seems like a contradiction because we lack the knowledge that the original audience would have had. Sometimes things seem like a contradiction because I don't understand what the author is saying or because I take a verse out of context and change its meaning or sometimes I misunderstand it or think I see a contradiction because I read in myself and my own worldview and my worldview has contradictions within itself and yeah 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 this is a, just a little bit tied back to um, some other stuff with contradictions but one way I've heard this articulated by someone is that the there's been no script or no book that's ever been critiqued as much as the Bible yeah. ever. And yet there hasn't emerged like one really clear contradiction through that that disproves the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I don't know if I usually use that as an argument, but I think that is an incredible thing. Like I think that if there was something that actually was a blatant mm-hmm. contradiction, that that would be there'd be a lot more congressivity uh-huh. over it <laughs> among <laughs> skeptics and uh, uh, people would actually like use that a lot more and you'd know about it uh, 
Yeah, if it's but if the scriptures have been attacked so much for so long and they're still holding up, that doesn't mean it's true. But there's something impressive there. Yeah, and we believe it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's something about it that why is it stood stood through thousands of years of human history mm-hmm. um, and still held to. Why are we here doing this podcast <laughs> in 2080? Yeah. Yeah, we're 2000, that's right. Um, yeah. So, what about Doug? Just, I think if you maybe just began to shift us more towards thinking of the foundation, then what really, if it's not, I mean, historical analysis is helpful. Yeah. Manuscript evidence is helpful, looking at the text and contradictions. Like, those questions, I think we're saying those are good and worthy endeavors. Mm-hmm. But what's the ultimate foundation? What would you say is the ultimate rooting, grounding and of our faith? And how do we defend that idea? Yeah. Uh, I think this is one where even my idea of how I would answer this is different now than it would have been a decade ago. What I thought a decade ago wasn't bad or wrong. But I think a decade ago I would have thought, if I can just prove that Jesus rose from the dead then I'll know that scripture is true. And, uh, or if I can just become convinced that that really happened. And I think that's actually helpful. And that's probably one of the things that we'll talk about here. Of like, oh, if I can see that Jesus actually rose from the dead, then I'm going to trust the rest of it. And I think there's good arguments and all of that. But then how do I r- believe that scripture is communicated to us in a way that we can know it? And this almost begins to where I'm going to sound a little bit mystical and like, wait a minute, that's subjective. But uh, I'm going to actually stick with us. Is that the way that we ultimately know that scripture is true is because it's self-authenticating and the Holy Spirit shows us the glory of God in scripture. And is that something where I can take that to an atheist and say, here is the evidential proof that scripture is true because I have seen the glory of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like, I can't, like, argue someone into that. But there's reasons that I believe that we know Scripture most fundamentally is true by the Holy Spirit authenticating Scripture and showing us that it's true. And there's an experiential knowledge there that's not just, oh, because I get warm, fuzzy feelings but because the Holy Spirit is real and he's showing us that scripture is true. And I think somebody might be hearing that and thinking, I don't know if I've ever experienced that. Um, and this is where I think John Piper has been really helpful. And he's got a little video, it's maybe like a two or three minute one on beautiful, called Beautifully True that just asks, how do we know that the Bible is true? And he talks about like seeing it. And he also has a video that's maybe... 45 minutes to an hour maybe we can link that in the description that talks about how do you know that scripture is true and he's talking about how his opinion of this has changed over time and i found it really helpful myself and get it going from just oh there's all this external evidence to the holy spirit reveals that to us and the reason that's actually a very cool thing is that if it was strictly based on knowledge, if it was strictly based on like human wisdom to conclude all of this is true and fits together, then people who are illiterate, 
people who are less intelligent, people who are mentally challenged, would have a disadvantage at coming to know Christ. But if the way that we know ultimately the scripture is true is by God revealing it by the Holy Spirit, then children, the poor, those with worse schooling aren't at a disadvantage because it's a gift of God and a miracle. And I think what's interesting is to go to 1 Corinthians 1. I mean, the whole section of 1, 18 to 2, 16 is pretty fascinating here. But it says, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. Verse 21 says, In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Yet it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And if I was orchestrating all of this, I wouldn't want it to be said, oh, that my wisdom was that we save people through folly. It's like, that doesn't make sense. Because I'm like, oh, I want to be known as wise for being intelligent and for Mm -hmm. being congruent or (laughs) all these different things. Uh, But even like, Paul says to the Corinthians, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not. And then in chapter 2 it says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And so he's got this contrast of the Corinthians who in their culture loved knowledge and wisdom and being seen as intelligent. But he humbles them and says, you Corinthians yourselves know that not many of you were wise or powerful or noble. Hmm. Like, oh, that's a pretty big insult to say to your audience who you love and care for. But then he says, what you do have is the spirit who is from God so that you can understand. And I think for me to realize, oh, ultimately the reason that I believe isn't just because I'm more intelligent than the average person out there, but because God has shown me the scriptures by the Holy Spirit and that this is a miracle. And yeah. And so I think not to bash external things, like knowing that the resurrection happened is a very good way of coming to see that the scripture is true. And for some people, these external evidences are the ways that God leads them to know Christ. And for C.S. Lewis and uh, who did Case for Christ? That's Strobel. Strobel yeah. yeah, people like that have come to know Christ there. And if what we believe is true, then these external evidences are going to confirm that. And if the external evidence says Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we may as well pack up. We should stop this podcast and do something else with our lives. Find new careers. Yeah. It's like, because what we're doing then, according to Paul himself, is worthless. Yeah. And there's no justification for our ministry to continue if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. So it is important to see that these things actually happen and that Christ rose. But at the most fundamental level, the way that I know that the Bible is true is not external evidence, but by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I think some of the significance of that too is, so Jackson, I mean, if Jackson comes to say, hey, like, yeah, Jesus is God, or he prayed the other day, or like, you know, and so if like, as he's growing up, he comes to know Jesus or has already come to know Jesus like for us to then say to him like whoa whoa, wait up Jackson 
Like, let me tell you about Aristotle first. <laughs> like, you uh-huh. need to learn. You need to learn logic and Western mm-hmm. logic. You need to learn about his. Then you, we need to take you through a survey of history. You need to know all these things. Like, I really do think that the faith of a child can mm-hmm. be legitimate. And Doug, mm-hmm. that's what you're saying is because it's not according to the wisdom of this world. Yeah. And so, like, what may seem deeply unsatisfying at first of like. <laughs> really like you think it's through the Holy Spirit and God reveals it actually ends up being that yeah like that ends up actually being somewhat of a beautiful message which is it's not a message and Doug I'm I'm stealing this from you but it's not a message that discriminates yeah for the wise the educated the I mean the wealthy like there's not a discrimination it's given by God by his Mm -hmm. grace not according to our own inherent worthiness, our own inherent intelligence. And -hmm. I think what's also significant is if you look at Romans 1, for example, where it talks Mm -hmm. about how God and his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and things that have been made so that men are without excuse. It also talks about how what happens, though, is that although they knew God... Because he's made known creation, uh, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The point there is, God is made known. Mm-hmm. The, the creation points to him. He's known through this world. Yet the issue fundamentally, if, if the issue fundamentally in disbelief is actually a hardening of our hearts towards God, is actually a heart condition, then that makes actually a lot of sense that it's God who's going to come in. He's going to change the heart. He's going to change the mind. He's going to open up and reveal knowledge. Because he's not fun. It's not like we're just neutral, unbiased creatures. What the Bible presents is we're actually biased by sin. And therefore, when God reveals truth, he's dealing on so many deeper levels than just mere external evidence. He's dealing with a fundamental human issue, which is sinfulness, separation from God, disbelief because of hardened hearts. And so I think even just thinking in that way of how beautiful is it that God shows us grace and mercy in revealing truth and in being Mm -hmm. kind in those ways to us. Yeah, because if our hearts are against God, then it's not just, oh, I need to know that we have what the apostles wrote, but I also need to know that that's true and that it's worth following Jesus. So I remember talking to one of the guys when I was in Boulder, and he's like, I believe that Jesus is God. I was like, yes. Like, do you want to follow him? No. Hmm. Because he didn't want Christ to be Lord of his life. So I think that's part of where the Holy Spirit's there as well necessary to see not just that Jesus truly is God and the scriptures are God's word but that he's also worth following and surrendering all that we have to love him because it's not as if oh it's just some sort of knowledge out there that's oh, I just kind of like change a little bit but to believe that scripture is true it costs us everything it's our whole lives yeah and this is uh, something we've mentioned before but I think it was Brian Hanneman who talked about this idea of uh, just he said I've never followed the word of God once in my life and regretted it 
and that's mm-hmm. one I use a lot because it's true in my life too like I've never come to the word of God submitted to its authority come under the lordship of Christ and regretted it or had that uh, I look back and say I wish I wouldn't have done that and that's an incredible thing uh, just yeah. to see that every time that I actually align my life with the scripture it leads to life it leads to joy mm-hmm. and whenever I follow my own way in life it doesn't it leads away <laughs> from that and I do regret it and yeah. I think that's such an incredible mm-hmm. thing like that um, just the experience of following the word as Christians that we have is just so incredible it's so mm-hmm. validating of the truth it's proved itself in your life. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. If you think about this question, like what are ways that you know that scripture is true? Um, Cause I think you've probably looked at that external evidence more than I have of like that Jesus rose from the dead or archeological stuff. And what ways has that been helpful for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I think like we were talking about earlier, uh, mm-hmm you were saying kind of backing up the truth yeah. of what we see and so <laughs> I think for me it's saying I'm not crazy or I'm not just making this up like that really has served a huge benefit yeah. in my life of alleviating doubt um, and mm-hmm. something that I think and I don't know if I made this up or not but as Christians we don't have to be scared of the truth and mm-hmm. we don't have to be worried like what if I'm wrong we can have an open hand to like if what I believe is wrong, I want to know. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and I really think that if we have the true, what we believe is the true worldview, we're the only worldview that can do that. And mm-hmm. uh, because if, yeah, because we don't have to have a vested interest, um, in a way that defends what we believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can say if you know, if, and so I really do. If I, if this isn't true, I want to know. And mm-hmm. I would really like to know if Christ didn't raise from the dead. And yeah. I really hope that if it wasn't true, I'd be willing to change my mind on it. But, yeah. And I think that's such a freeing perspective. And so let's explore truth. So let's look into these things. And as you do, what you'll see is that it completely lines up to what is true. And yeah, um, and that's it's just going to add more fuel to your faith, yeah. add more excitement. I feel like it's a way of... For somebody that's a Christian and doubting and wondering to really find some peace. Like, oh, we do have evidence this is true. It's helpful to know, even for the question, like, did the disciples just make this all up? Oh, that they died for this or suffered for it. Oh, it doesn't, again, mean that they weren't deceived. But it definitely shows us they didn't just pretend. Because nobody dies for a lie and gets crucified for that. Like, they really thought this, and Jesus really thought that he was God. And to see that these men and women throughout history have died for this belief, again, doesn't mean that their belief is correct, but it means they're not just pretending or making this up, but they really believe this, and that's helpful. And the evidence that Christ rose from the dead, it's like, oh, that's really helpful as a Christian. And I'd say that one of the external evidence I'd find like the most significance mm-hmm. of like do we believe that Christ rose from the dead because if Christ rose from the dead uh, then everything I'm going to submit Game to on. it <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it's I think those are so important just serving our faith and building it up um, mm-hmm. and this kind of ties back to John Piper's sermon slash book about a peculiar glory 
Mm-hmm. We're just talking about the glory of Christ in the Bible and seeing that and knowing it's true. But the, what he was talking about, those things are great and they give uh, mm-hmm. they give evidence to your faith. But he was talking about what would bring the greatest comfort to your soul if you're going to be martyred for Christ or killed for Christ. Like uh-huh. those things are probably not the last thing you'd be thinking about. The last thing you'd be thinking about is I know Christ. I know He's true. I know He is who He says He is. Uh, not. I've got this 10-point argument that I can defend. He's like, I might not be able to even think about it at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I think in the same way, like, I've experienced that where I know Christ is who he says he is. I know that the way he answers and responds is beyond just what a human could do. Yeah. He is God in the flesh. I know Paul and what he's like. Hyper <laughs> mm-hmm. talks about that too, but I've studied him enough. I've gone over his words thousands and thousands of times and I know that he is who he says he is and that he he believes what he is saying yeah or he's also crazy you know? <laughs> yeah yeah which I don't think he is <laughs> uh-huh. I think one helpful illustration I'm not sure if I got this from somewhere but even to think of how do we know the Bible is true is like how do you know a sunrise is beautiful mm-hmm and it may seem like an odd question, or how do you know, Doug, your wife is beautiful? Like, mm-hmm. in a sense, when you answer a question like that of, like, beauty or glory, you're not always, um, there's sort of, there's sort of a, that's the, I think that's the idea of self-authenticating. Yeah. Like, it's innate. Like, it's just, like, clear. It's just evident. Like, it's evident from a sunrise that there's a beauty, that there's a glory there. Mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of ways... For me, like when I have been in those deepest moments of doubt, I think it's that that shines there. That like I, I don't know how I could go away from believing something so beautiful, so good, so real, so so experientially proven in my own life mm-hmm. could possibly be false. There's just like that idea of it's self-authenticating, showing it's true, showing it's reality and and I've thought a lot about that because, in a sense, that's like saying something's true because it's beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. But in a real sense, it's all saying it's true because it's proven experientially. But also, I think, if the source of beauty and truth and goodness was all tied up in one person, mm-hmm. then it would make sense that truth would have a sort of beauty like that. That it would have a sort of glory. Because truth and beauty are not too completely abstract concepts that have no existence um, together they're actually bound up I think in Jesus Christ and that gives a reason why I think beauty and truth are so innately tied together yeah one uh, idea along those lines is every worldview kind of points to truth saying this is truth do this and you'll find life or happiness or joy or salvation, whatever it is. But Christianity is the only worldview where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And so in getting to know Christ, we actually get to know what is truth. And it's through the context of a relationship that we know what is true and what is real, what is beautiful, yeah. what is glorious. And that's unique to Christianity in the context of a relationship. We know and we see, we behold truth and we're transformed by it in a way that's internal and not just external. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Doug, do you have any concluding thoughts for this discussion? Yeah. I'd say if you're out there and you're wrestling with these things, either as a Christian or non-Christian, I would say look into the external evidence. Do we actually have reasons to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, even outside of Scripture? Do we have reasons to believe that we have the original writings of the apostles? Do we have reasons to believe that there aren't actually contradictions? Those things are helpful. But what I do long for you is that you would see God's word. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It pierces even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. And so what I desire for you is to see scripture, to be judged by it, for it to divide your soul and spirit, for you to actually experience this is living and active so that you can have the same confidence that scripture is true that I have that Reagan is my wife because I see her, I'm with her, I know that this is true. And the same way I can look at scripture and I see it. This is God's word and it's become real in my life. And maybe you hear that and you've been a Christian for a long time and think, I don't relate to what they're talking about. Like, I just read it and I know it's true. Um, And if that's how you feel, I hope that you'll spend time saturated in the word like Greg was talking about and begin to have that taste. And it may actually be that you already have glimpses of that, but you're not quite sure what it is. But you've had experiences of seeing God's glory and seeing, wow, this really is true. And God's proved it over and again in my life. And maybe you're just not aware to put that all together. But I hope that as confident as I am that Reagan is my wife, that you will be confident that this is truly God's word, that it is living and active, that it is God-breathed, that it is useful for training, equipping, and righteousness, so that you'd be equipped for every good work. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope it's of encouragement to you and that you join us next time for another discussion. The music excerpts for this podcast come from the song Enthusiast by Tours, which is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. More information can be found in the show notes.